0: hello everyone it's all great to see you here all once again listening to the last episode of my podcast where we review over every single little thing we had gone over in the past and summarize it in one big episode from the Virgil boy and the and philip cdi's horrendous failure and major uh, critically horrendous acclaim on nintendo's console trust on cd and virtual technology also leading uh, them to be taken advantage by other companies early 90s to rare bears advanced cgi capabilities and argonauts super effect chip that would greatly support nintendo in making advanced polygonal 3d technology it's time to go over everything we have talked about in this great you know big uh, episode of trilogy i hope you enjoy it First, let's talk about the misfortunate failures the Philips CDI and Nintendo Virtual Boy. The Nintendo um, Virtual Boy and Philips CDI were both Nintendo properties that were horrendous failures, but for very different reasons. The Nintendo Virtual Boy was a horrendous cluster of terrible VR technology and such, much due to its red and black only color graphics and terrible neck pain caused the, due to having to sit in an awkward position blinking lights that would cause severe epilepsy and end up resulting in you ending up at the hospital due to a seizure, and simply bad controls and bad design. It was an awful console that was both rushed and filled with terrible ideas due to a lack of understanding of what is a good idea for a virtual uh, headset, and also due to the lack of technology available at the time for making virtual reality technology. The Philips cd on the other hand was a terrible failure for very different reasons. It ended up failing drastically and utterly due to it being lent by a completely different company that wasn't even Nintendo itself, as long as it's, as well as its franchises. This not only led to several lore errors in the franchises they were chosen to do, as well as what made those franchises good in the first place, but them also screwing up on the console itself, making god awful mistakes that most game companies even themselves wouldn't know. Philips didn't have very much experience, they saw it the same way you would see an interactive media platform, you know, a VCR of some sort, a fancy VCR even. They didn't see it as a game console and think about what makes a game console enjoyable, they didn't think about how to make it convenient, they thought of technology and everything else over fun and how easy it is to do and efficiency. They didn't have any idea what they were doing in the game console. The games on there lacked variety and were of incredibly horrendous quality. Terrible controls, low quality design, horrendous collision, it made it hard to actually jump and move around, and much more. And lastly, it only had four games. It is probably the smallest library of games in all of existence. At the, or at the very least the smallest Nintendo library of games on a console. It is sad to think that there were only four games, not to mention it was also severely overpriced due to the required technology to accomplish such advanced capabilities. And so and uh, resulted in two god-awful failures that resulted in hundreds of thousands of dollars lost and uh, the reputation of Nintendo being her only more. The second thing worth talking about in terms of, of Nintendo-related topics is best we start now focusing on Rareware and Argonaut's advanced 3D capabilities. Rareware had assisted on, in working with Nintendo, making Nintendo buy 40% of it in return with uh, Rareware helping them compete with Sony and making new kinds of games on, for their console, the SNES, and their new console uh, yet to come, the N64. Well, yet to come back in 1995, was. They advanced in making an extraordinary pre-render graphics using incredibly powerful CGI capabilities. That, when uh, turned into flat images as simple pixelated sprites, that the resolution downturned a little. They can then be you know, put into the game with a unique and look to them that is still of incredible capability in 3D style. It sticks outward and has such amazing. Innovative look to it in a ways that pushes the very limits of what we could could be possible with its high frame animation, such creating the illusion of high quality 3D capabilities. In reality, it's all mere flat imagery on CGI design. It also ended up having a unique platforming that went along to the rhythm of the game's music, fun characters, unique colorful design, and much more throughout that made it a f- incredible and very. Uh, silly yet charming and a sort of serious game. You could easily fall in love with it for what it is, especially when it comes to its incredible capabilities and its music, pushing the very limits of the music technology available on the SNES as well. Argonaut, on the other hand, made a deal with Nintendo even earlier, making it to where they would end up designing a special 3D chip known as the Super FX which added far more powerful 3D rendering capabilities and made it so that the SNES could render hundreds if not thousands of polygons at once, or at the very least 7-10,000. to 10,000. This allowed for complex, algorithmized games of complex 3D technology, such as Star Fox, Doom, and much more, even being used in games we least expected, like Yoshi's Island, which isn't even a 3D game at all. Needless to say, they both played a major role in actually helping 3D capabilities become a reality. And it's uh, them we have to thank for what they did for Nintendo back then to help them compete for a brief period of time. The last thing is wor- that is worth talking about is Mode 7. As I discussed in one of my other episodes, Mode 7 is a special background mode that allows for scaling, of sprite size, rotating, and much more. You could do plenty with of Mode 7 itself, and it was an incredible form of technology that could produce incredible illusions. While it wasn't mm, perfect, designed for only creating unique 3D illusions, it was used mostly for just that. It could you know, use the background to be scaled and uh, skewed in a way that would form a parallelogram that when placed carefully would then appear as a 3D plane. A perfectly flat, right angle, 3D plane. This simple trick was of incredible capability, so mundane and non-complicated, yet so special and fascinating in a way that pushed the very limits of what we thought could ever be possible and would produce incredible, unnatural results. This allowed for a large array of unique gameplay scenarios, like a racing game, or a game where you ran around shooting things on the flat plane, or flying through the air, or using it as a map or anything else really that could allow you to move along this flat plane. It was an extraordinary form of technology that pushed the very limits of what we thought could be possible, and had a very unique style that only the SNES could accomplish, unlike the NES. It was simply incredible, and with certain games like Super Star Wars The Empire Strikes Back, or the Baja Super Off-Road Racing, they could both produce incredible results of advanced technology that would, again, prove to be a far greater task than what we thought could even be possible. It was, to put it simply, revolutionary. And so that wraps up our entire podcast. It was fun doing this as a bit of a school project, and I hope you enjoyed it. Thank you very much for listening to all my episodes. I truly appreciate what you have done for me. For me, whether you, and if you didn't enjoy it, that's alright. As you at least gave it a chance thank you very much for listening to my podcast i'm spencer enix and have a good day